1: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief, New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation, and International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. This podcast is brought to you in part by Sovereign Sportsman Solutions. As conservation officers, we know just how important technology is in this day and age. S3 is a cutting-edge and trusted vendor that provides state agencies with licensing, mobile, CRM, marketing, law enforcement, and event management solutions all in one place. They are dedicated to benefiting the resource, so check out the link in the show notes to sign up for their newsletter and get the industry insights, news, and content that can keep you up-to-date on the tech that helps drive conservation into the future. A Game Warden's children's book titled A Cowboy in the Woods is a story of Bobby, a boy who spends the whole summer observing wildlife, writing notes in his notebook, fishing with his dad, and keeping track of all the animals in his neighborhood while trying to solve a neighborhood mystery. What he discovers is more than just an appreciation for the natural world. The idea for this book came from Wayne Saunders' own childhood experiences. Growing up and exploring the woods and streams and lakes and ponds of his native New Hampshire, the love of nature instilled in his childhood led him to a career as a conservation officer. Wayne Saunders is a retired lieutenant conservation officer from the New Hampshire Fishing Game Department. Lindsay Webb is a naturalist, wildlife biologist, and environmental educator. Together they collaborated with wildlife artist Ashley Myers to produce The Cowboy in the Woods, the story of a boy whose love of nature leads him in unexpected directions. Available at wardenswatch.com and Amazon. Listen to the Thin Green Line podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Game Wardens, John Norris, and Wayne Saunders talk about wildlife, the outdoors, law enforcement, environmental subjects mixed with current events and guests that are part of the Thin Green Line. And if you are one of those visual people, like me, for $5 a month, you can see the actual podcast on patreon.com. Just search The Thin Green Line Podcast on Patreon.com and join us. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch, Episode 64. Lonnie Schusel. and Lonnie is a Florida game warden, and he's our first Florida game warden, John, to have on Warden's Watch. That's pretty awesome.
0: It was awesome to finally get a, a, a thin green liner from uh, from Florida, and um, even more unique and kind of hitting home for me, as you know, is the fact that he is one of the captains and one of the plank members of the Florida Special Operations Group. You know, their tactical unit of game wardens, which Florida has. And for our listeners and viewers out there, you guys are familiar with our, our Met team over in California, the Texas special operations groups. We've talked a little bit about, but Florida has been at the game a lot longer than any of us. They were built after, uh, as Lonnie said, Wayne, right, not right after nine eleven, and not only for domestic, you know, threats of any kind that they could encounter, but flooding, hurricane, uh, you know, support and evacuation, search and rescue, all highly trained in that. And they've got um, several teams, uh, district teams, all over the state of Florida, doing some amazing things. So it was a real privilege and treat to get to talk to Lonnie about that, you know, and what what he's been through and what his whole uh, state's been through as they develop that special operations group within uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife.
2: Yeah, I know it was real interesting to have you guys back and forth from the California to the Florida, doing the same thing but a little bit different, and how one's uh, one's your primary job, and and for them the the Sog team is a secondary job. It's a you know a collateral duty, which that was always in my mind. I just had never asked you, and I thought that we covered that really well. And you know for the game wardens that listen to us, I think they'll be really interested and in see how that works out and the differences. And you know I think that's up and coming, probably for some of the other states to start developing the teams and becoming the the SWAT team in the woods so to speak the SOG team the you know because that's where we operate
0: yeah it's been necessary Wayne and and ever since you know I I pulled the plug from operations and retirement I've had several states reach out to me and I'm sure we although we didn't go into this um, I'm sure Lonnie's dealing with that too that the handful of states that are have gone that direction um the other states are finding the same problem, uh, but they don't have a lot of officers. I mean, you know, look, Florida has collateral teams, yet they have 800, 900 officers. We mm. happen to be a full-time dedicated team in California with 500 officers, which is kind of like a unicorn. That just doesn't happen. We were really blown right. away that we could be dedicated and felt very blessed and lucky to do so and not have collateral duties with patrol. But these other states like yours, and I think the Midwest mm. states I work with that have 50 to 100 officers, how are you ever going to find and be able to beeline 10 right. of those guys or 12 of those guys and gals dedicated to a tactical unit that might not deploy all the time? It's just not efficient. Yeah. So we're going to be seeing collateral teams, if anything, nationally. And that's where Florida is an exemplary, awesome example mm. of how that can work. And we informally were collateral duty quasi special operations team of our own as we integrated with those sheriff's units back in California, leading up to the, to the marijuana enforcement team development. So Lonnie lends a lot of good uh, stories and uh, it was a great conversation with them. And I don't think we covered near enough and we've talked about talking again. So you guys might see, uh, you might see Lonnie or some of his colleagues on the show in the not too distant future again.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, our listeners out there if they could ask like one friend say hey have you listened to the wardens watch podcast and if they subscribe you know we can up our listenership because that's so important for us is to keep getting the word out there and also the support we get by having more listeners so if you guys could ask a friend to subscribe to wardens watch podcast uh uh, for sure and uh now that uh, the thin green line is on the wardens watch podcast platform you're going to get additional stuff so that's that's pretty cool and incredible that we're doing that now john
0: Yeah, uh, the merger has been needed. And and for all of you out there listening, um, like Wayne said, we really appreciate your support. Definitely, if you can, spread the word. Um, we are consolidating the two podcasts under one umbrella just because they take a lot of work. They take a lot of work to find the time to do the recordings, the production um, and, and you know, and the other things we have to do and we don't want to short anybody. So the nice thing about wardens watch umbrella now, guys and gals is you're going to get the game warden stories. They're not going to go away, but you're going to get the non law enforcement conservation officer, thin green line stories, everything from the musicians, you know, to the special forces operators, to the environmental scientists, like you've seen on the thin green line and really enjoyed. And we're just going to mix it up. So you can go to, it's a one-stop shop now and you get both. And it's going to be a lot easier for Wayne and I and get in our production staff to uh, get these out more consistently, um, and give you a good mix so we appreciate you guys tuning in and uh yeah tell a friend let's blow it up it really helps we yeah, appreciate and, it
2: and with that you know you can go to warden's watch and purchase john's book you can go to warden's watch and purchase my children's book so it really is a it's a really cool spot for you guys to go to and check it out appreciate all that support so lonnie schusel the sog unit florida is what we talk about as well as a lot of other florida things really great uh, conversation between the three of us really enjoyed it <laughs> Well, welcome everybody
0: to another episode of Warden's Watch, and we have a very special guest today. We have Captain Lonnie Sushal from Florida Fish and Wildlife Special Operations Group, that's the SOG unit out there, and Lonnie, this, is, uh, this has been a long time in coming, man, because as our listeners and viewers kind of know, special operations teams within conservation agencies are pretty rare, and there aren't that many of them. And um, you guys out in Florida, some of our brothers and sisters in Texas, and us out in California obviously have the marijuana enforcement team that our, our, our folks know pretty well on this side of the podcast world. But man, this is so cool to have you on the show, um, given the tenure, and the duration that Florida's had their SOG units going. And it's a real treat to talk to you about that today. And how are you? Welcome.
3: I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Uh it's it's good to, to finally get connected.
0: Yeah, we're uh for, for those of you <laughs> out there listening and watching, <laughs> we have uh, had a little fill and flow overcome an adapt mission today to get to get Lonnie's audio and video working, and we almost aborted, but uh <laughs> we we always push through and never quit. So uh we're glad it's working and you're coming in five by five. You know, I gotta tell you, bud. The first time I heard about you guys was way back when I was starting tactical training and going to sniper schools. It was right around 9-11, right around 9-11 in the Katrina stuff. And one of my primary lead instructors that we would do outside schools with and a really good friend, Pat Rogers from EAG Tactical. Um, You guys may be familiar with him. Heck of a carbine instructor, pistol, sniper rifle. Uh, We lost Pat a few years to go to some heart trouble. Um, But he was a mentor of mine. He was also a writer for SWAT magazine. And in the first magazine uh, from a SWAT edition I ever got, you guys were front and center on the cover, Florida's new SOG unit. And it was a breakdown of what you guys did. And I was blown away as a young game warden, the fact that you guys were doing such cool stuff and such necessary stuff for the challenges, both public safety and and wildlife issues that you guys deal with in in a real diverse state of Florida, you know? kind of like in California, the diversity of coast and high mountains and desert. And uh, you guys have the swamps and, and everything you're doing out there. So can you just tell us a little bit about your background from the standpoint of the, the traditional world of conservation and why Florida kind of led the charge on building these units before we break down the units themselves?
3: Um, a little bit about my background portion, that uh, same kind of magazine cover, because back when it came out, I was still in college, <laughs> but uh, and then we at the time had a TV show back then too called the E Force was I the first p- uh, Florida Fish and Wildlife uh, TV show. So going through college, going through criminal justice studies, and then see that advertisement for somebody who loves to be outdoors, I was like, "Yeah, I know the track I'm taking." Yeah. And then <laughs> you know, so then there was an episode uh, that they had some of the tactical stuff going on, and uh, there was an episode with response to hurricane Charlie, which was before Katrina, which was actually hit my local area. I slept through hurricane Charlie, but (laughs) uh, (laughs) it did hit through our area. Um, so then I continued on and then they, if you ever search SOG on, uh, Florida SOG operations on YouTube, you'll see the the cool video that they had put out. That was just about SOG. And I was just like, yeah, I've got to be one of those guys one day. Right. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it did. The uh, formation of SOG came from after 9-11 for a response to homeland waterborne security in the state of Florida, um, 2003, uh, November, 2003, when it was finally put together. And shortly after their first mission was a, oh um, a, uh, well, it was for four freedoms down in Miami. So a big port of Miami, multiple access points, um, but nobody trained to do it until SOG had been formed, and we were able to take lead and and work with federal partners on that waterborne security side. Um, throughout the years, uh, uh, right after that was Hurricane Charlie in two thousand four, and then Katrina in two thousand five. And within two years, we're deploying to Mississippi and Louisiana to help with search and rescue missions and, and public service help, and and that uh, all those different type of missions. That pretty much it was like anything else: find a job and do the do a job, find work make work happen um so throughout that uh when i came on in 2008 uh joining the academy and going through my background my background investigator was actually one of the plank members who helped start SOG so i got to talk to him about it Super so cool. and actually i had a conversation with him this morning i was like hey man i'm getting ready to talk about SOG you're a founding member well what, what do you want me to plug and he's like man it just, it's just just been a wild ride because he's been on it since 2003 coming up on Well, another two years will be 20 years. He'll be on the teams as a founding member. Wow.
2: Yeah. um, Something.
3: So he's got, he's got tons of history. And, and shortly after I got on with the agency, I did my probationary time, um, started to get myself to where I was ready, um, to, to be able to join the teams, um, And then I blew my knee out in 2010. (laughs) So I had to really quickly get some uh, rehab and push myself. And then was on the team right before the RNC held in Tampa, which our mission was Homeland Security and boarding all the freighters and ships coming in, doing waterborne, armed shipboarding stuff, which was pretty fun and exciting for my first uh, long mission. Um, So, yeah, and from there, I think actually after that same year with the RNC, then we deployed to New Jersey for hurricane sandy which was funny because we were the only florida agency and the only game warden agency uh on that first deployment to new jersey and they're like okay what about a bunch of game wardens going to be able to do and we're like well we come with four by four trucks with winches and we can go where these little crown vicks can't <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <That's laughs>
3: and nice. uh, so we end- we ended up getting deployed to the coast and i spent uh my whole nine day deployment on long beach island uh maintaining security because nobody was allowed Uh, on or off unless they were residents and cleared to uh, be on the island.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's interesting you bring up that point when you come in as a team of special operations trained game wardens and other agencies and even the public are like, what are these game horns going to do? Mm-hmm. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you went through the same growing pains we did, but when they see the diversity of training and the capabilities for us to go off road in swamp, underwater, above water, whatever um, it's a real asset, you know, and nine 11 kind of, kind of shaped that. I think we were, we always wanted to build that unit, but we needed a real catalyst for a California problem to build the unit that a lot of us were, uh, kind of behind the scenes, you know, preparing for like you were, you know, yeah. I mean, obviously we didn't have a SOG unit when we started, but we knew at some point, California would need something similar. Um, it, you know, it was obviously the cartel threats that you're familiar with after, uh, mm-hmm. going through some of our stuff, but it was everything else. Um, fugitive recovery, search and rescue, uh, mm-hmm on water stuff off our coastline and it's just invaluable what we can do as conservation officers, you know, if, if, if given those tools and um, it brings me up to, you guys aren't one team though in SOG, you guys have a, uh, is it district or regional teams and can you go over how it kind of breaks down and, and uh, how you guys are divided up to, for coverage and stuff?
3: So with Florida being a large state state with a lot of waterborne coast and, and we have six regions throughout the state. And each region has a 15-man team with a commander and nice. 14 operators. Um, me being, I'm the commander for the South Alpha region. Um, I was just, this is my third team actually because I've worked in three different regions and I haven't stopped being on Sog since I joined in our Southwest team. I went down to South Bravo when I promoted to a lieutenant position and took over as a team leader role there. And then when I uh, took over as a captain here out in Fish Eating Creek. Which is right along Lake Okeechobee. I actually supervise all of Lake Okeechobee, which is the largest lake in Florida. Um, but it also come with it came with um, the ability to operate a bunch of different equipment, so we were able to respond to a bunch oh. of different stuff. But so those six teams um, throughout from the Panhandle uh, to Jacksonville to Ocala National Forest. To uh, the southwest with the port of Tampa, to to my area where I have the port of the Everglades, and then you have the port of Miami and South Bravo, plus the Florida Keys, which is yeah. wild man land. I mean, Jack Carr wrote in his book about how he was able to take out somebody in the Keys uh, because of the desolate islands. So I mean, it's just the wild and traverseness of Florida, and it's all the terrains are different. So one team is like, or two teams are could be really proficient in the swamp in the mucks and the terrains of the, the 10,000 islands in the Florida keys. And then you have the teams that are around the Ocala national forest on the Northeast team. They're dealing with large Hills and heavy wood tree. Right. So every team gets diversified in a different terrain, um, which allows us to operate different equipment, which makes us so unique to be able to respond to out of state uh, deployments with like Texas I was out in Texas for hurricane Harvey. And, Operated in an airboat doing search and rescue missions the whole time. So and then uh, so we we specialize in the high water and the wood stuff uh, as a team, which lets us get those uh, wanted subjects that run off in the woods that the pavement guys can't traverse in as
0: well. So right, the yeah, question- and, and oh, sorry, Godwin.
2: The question I have for both of you guys, as a former game warden, looking at your teams and the different ones you've been involved with, are these collateral duties, or do you have guys that that's all they do is sog? And, or, and the Met, too, John, is that's what I think every game warden right now that d- doesn't have one of these special teams is wondering, is that a collateral duty or is that, is, am I detailed to those teams? So, and Lonnie, if you want to go first, and I, I, I've always had that question for you, John, and never asked.
3: Gotcha. For us, it is definitely a collateral duty. Um, I still have to supervise my four counties. Um Wow. And with my four lieutenants and the whole Lake Okeechobee for emergency response and and targeted enforcement response. Um, So it's definitely a secondary collateral duty that pretty much mirrors up with my regular duties. I spend probably 50, 50 of my time delegating out training, uh, uh, targeted training that we want to put together and then supervising the field and what uh, seasons and stuff that are coming up uh to enforce <laughs> so it's like it's, it's a lot but and then uh but it also uh, it helps to be able to stay in touch with the field when it's a collateral duty because when you're still out and i'm one of those captains there's quite a few of us out in our agency that like to get out and work in the field a lot nice so we get to meet those next generations and try to push hey start looking at us you're yeah. an awesome operator you know how to do stuff you've got this experience, we want you on the team, you need to try out. So it it helps us Mm. stay in the field, but still uh, be able to knock out what we need to do.
0: Yeah, that was, you know, Wayne, you beat me to it. That was the exact question I was going to ask Lonnie. It's, it's funny how we
2: think, because the question before that I had right on the tip oh, of my yeah, tongue, yeah. too. It's <laughs> and, and Lonnie, I
0: got to say, man, kudos, because, you're, brother, you're wearing two very important hats. And I know what it was like before we formed the MET team to be a patrol lieutenant, supervise 2.5 counties in the Silicon Valley area of California, and okay. still be doing this special ops stuff, you know, on cartel work and uh, other, other missions, you know. And it, it, that's a real big challenge. And my hat's off to you guys for doing that. Um, We fortunately were able to get to a point where we were having so much of one problem that the chief finally believed in us, you know, doing doing a pilot program and then actually going full time. And uh, so we did not have collateral duties, Wayne, to answer your question. When MET was officially full time, January 1st of 2014. Um, but Lonnie, I'm sure you, you, you can resonate with this. That's that's a real hard pill to swallow for admin and for limited budgets and limited personnel when you're taking some of your best patrol game wardens that have been grinding, you know, for 10, 15 years. And now they're leaving their patrol districts uh, to do traditional really important stuff, too. And um, we're a big state. We're not as big as you guys and our force isn't as big, but we're always undermanned. Uh, we mm-hmm. could always use more in the patrol sector and the special ops sector and commercial uh, commercial wildlife sales, undercover, m- marine patrol, whatever. And uh, that was a big challenge for us. And, and now, fortunately, for the benefit of the program, we are full-time and dedicated to that. But, Lana, you said something really critical was that you like to get out and work and still work, you know, obviously general patrol overseeing that but recruit and retain these upcoming new folks for SOG. And even though we don't officially have to do that on the Met front, all of our guys still live in their normal districts where, where they came from. And so, you know, when we're not on a mission, we'll be on a deer opener or we'll be on a spotlighting patrol and we'll fill and flow and jump in with patrol because we love that work. And, you know, we, you don't want to be that, you don't want to be that team that's kind of off in the dark and we have the same problem. Um, we, you know, have very high standards for our, for our MET unit and mm-hmm. recruiting and retaining people years ahead of time. Just to fill a spot when it comes open is is pretty tough for us because yeah. we got to find the right people. And the only way we can do that is go see the go getters early in their careers, right, doing the patrol. So it sounds yeah. like you guys have a very good program of developing the next generation of SOG operators. And fortunately, you guys seem to have a, a few more people than we do. Where are you guys sitting at force wise between patrol? all functions on your law enforcement side.
3: Well, we're, we're over 800 sworn. Oh man, that sounds cool. (laughs) Wow. Still still short staffed I have three openings in my Glades County and I have four openings in my Hendry County. So right now my Hendry County squad is a Lieutenant and two officers handling uh, a state forest, um, the Kaloosatchee river and, and two different uh, locking systems. Wow. Uh, the south end of the lake, three management areas in that area plus vast amounts of private land and but uh with the partnerships with our our uh stakeholders and our landowners and stuff we're still able to get the job done. My guys are on shift work but they still answer and and come out when the calls necessary. So it's it's pretty good. Nice. God, that's
0: super cool. And um, as far as your, your different teams in six regions, do you guys kind of train independently in the area you're operating in for specialties or do you sometimes come together as a whole special operations unit and kind of collateral train with all six of your teams?
3: Yeah, we do. Uh, we didn't do it last year, obviously, because of COVID and, and we had to uh, cut back on a lot of our large group gathering uh, trainings. Um, luckily for, for, we try to, to co-mingle with the teams that are surrounding you. Like I'm surrounded by our Southwest our South Bravo and our Northeast team. Um, and we're always talking about ways to join up together. There's a really cool facility that's uh, on my Southern boundary of my region. Um, it's an old state prison, which is now turned into a gun range and law enforcement training facility. Mm-hmm. So you have all those buildings and stuff, but it butts up right to the South Bravo team. So when we do some good trainings there, We'll invite them guys to to join in with us. And plus, then they have the Big Cypress uh, National Preserve down there. So if we want to do some awesome land, nav, uh, woods, terrain team movements, we can link up with them and say, hey, this is the mission that we've been thrown today. This is the scenario. And then go.
2: Uh, okay, can I butt in, Lonnie? Those- as a northern warden, that doesn't sound like an awesome land navigation because, you know, the guy that gets a lot of snow three quarters of the year to think about gators and snakes and the, the things that you guys <laughs> operate in just makes my skin crawl. I, my hat is off to you to operate in those conditions because, uh, <laughs> I, uh
3: it, it's, uh, it's definitely, um, a 540 scan you're looking down at your feet so you're not stepping on a moccasin or a, a rattlesnake um, wow you, you're, you're looking you're you're swatting mosquitoes you're looking for uh water holes and it reminds me you're saying that we had to do a search and rescue mission one time when i was on the south bravo team um guy had been missing for three days national park service come across some of his belongings um they did a search and they're like we need some backup luckily i had good contacts with the national park service they called me up they're like hey we want we need to get some dogs in here and uh and deploy your guys's team um you guys are because we train in man tracking so that's one of the things you know when the dog's exasperated and he can't go on any further and, and we can take over and, and pick up on our, our tracking skills we end up tracking in 11 miles we found the guy successful rescue got him back out wow. but while we're tracking through that stuff We start walking over these, uh, and it was real dry. It was mucky, but it was dry. Lands that are usually flooded, and there's water going across because it's the Everglades and that that sheet flow. We're walking. We're walking over this limestone, and you could see down into holes. Well, we're stepping across. We're stepping across, and then the next thing you know, there's there's water in in these limestone holes. It's just a cavern system down there. There's a 7 foot alligator's head sitting there inside this thing wow. stepping over and going, oh
2: no <laughs> oh
0: jeez <laughs> that old crap moment that's, that's what like, I thought you were going to be looking for
3: underneath the ground
1: yeah
0: <laughs> a fat
3: alligator
1: the...
3: <laughs> but luckily he was a couple feet down but that we were an easy target if if we didn't wow. spot him and say hey threat underneath So
2: that's a whole different operating (laughs) area, even for you, John, right? (laughs) Yeah. You you know, Lonnie, you you mentioned
0: man tracking, fugitive recovery, search and rescue on, you know, some of these long treks and uh, our team has been involved in a lot of those um, in and around the marijuana work we do. And I got to say, man, um, you guys, just in what I followed, you know, you kind of pioneered that, especially in like we're talking about really arduous uncomfortable conditions and being able to go anywhere and we kind of looked at a lot of that when we were forming up met to to be able to do it anywhere at fourteen thousand feet in the high elevation you know we don't really have swamps per se but we got the delta and it's 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 pretty mucky and it's pretty nasty with some threats we don't have gators and moccasins fortunately (laughs) but uh but we have some pretty rough stuff um but that's one of the hardest jobs i think for us on the special operations front to do effectively with or without dogs and I think about, especially um, fugitive recovery on, on armed suspects that could be 5, 10, 15 miles in the bush, hold up, and you know they kind of have the advantage; they can kind of watch a choke point in a trail and how we get in on that safely and without. Uh, just curious, how you guys started your training and development on that? I know we started with way before Met was formed. We started working with uh, the TTOs group, the Tactical Tracking Operations School. Um, and he was a uh, don, don levin was running kind of uh, i don 't know if he was back on the east with you guys, but he was all over the west coast Pacific Northwest especially when more rural teams and and urban collateral teams were running into that problem and just completely overwhelmed officer safety wise with trying to find a bad guy um, or even somebody that just needs to be rescued and I know that training was invaluable and it it certainly paid off in keeping us safe when we were you know pulling armed combatants out of the brush.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, for two sides, um, our man tracking has just been something that stems from our old game and fish commission days, or yeah. we had old time game wardens who just over the years developed that institutional knowledge. Um, one of our retired lieutenants who wrote two books, Bob Lee, um, back lawman. And then, uh, I think I have his other one sitting up there. I know it's one of them sitting in there in my library, but, uh, He pretty much took over and wrote the PowerPoints and developed the training on uh, vehicles going through water, vehicles going on the grass, uh, all kinds of different things that he just had developed over the years on how to pick up those small little signs, whether it be a speck of dirt on a a fence rail that got left and stuff like that. So we start out in the academy with that training. once you start getting in with the, the special operations group, we add the uh, ability of a canine. And we usually do a wedge formation with one guy uh, being the security for the dog while the handler handles that. So our eyes are focused on tree lines and, and yep. rear security and stuff like that. Pretty much just um, taking the aspects from our uh, beginning plank members who were mostly military that had seen action or had extensive training and stuff like that and developing in their military side to bring in our game warden side and mesh it with our, uh, military tactics. And that's how we've just continued training like that (laughs) is, uh, is, you know, knowing your sectors of fire, knowing your areas of responsibility and sticking to it. Um, And when we're doing our man tracking stuff, we we throw multiple scenarios. We do Kim's games where you got to remember and pick out the oddities, but then we'll set up an actual scene where you got to be like, okay, how did the vehicle come and turn this way? But then we also, and I've done it multiple times where I get up in a ghillie suit and we have a sector and they've got to pick out the oddity as soon as they can. And it's kind of timed. It's like, all right, who picked it up fastest? And we do it in three different spots where Last and they don't see when you move. Obviously, they have to turn around and look. And I've gotten to where I'm almost at the base of their feet. So it's you know, look (laughs) out and start scanning. And they're like, "Oh, you're right there." And then and then they're like, "Well, how did you get to that point?" Right, right. (laughs) You've got to know that your enemy is hunting you just as much as you're hunting him. So.
0: Yeah, that's that's a huge that's a huge lesson in field craft, right? We we do that on Met. Um, we do it in the academy, which I'll share because it sounds like you guys are doing something similar in the academy, which is really exciting on my end, the first time I've heard it. But the whole We always say the hardest thing in sniper school and when we're, do, when we're training our snipers is the field craft aspect of not getting burned on movement, whether you're in ghillies, whether you're in partial camouflage, using layers of cover, you know, with the terrain that you have. But we yeah. teach, uh, we, before MET was formed about 10, 15 years ago, some of us were asked to form a uh, tactical surveillance class, you know, kind of uh, getting cadets that had come from an outdoor background or maybe maybe an urban background, had spent some time fishing and hunting and stuff like that, but had never really immersed and had to really sneak up hardcore on anybody, maybe not even an animal. So they had never been in ghillie suits. They had never you know, looked at camouflage patterns. They had never looked at uh, you know, natural lines of drift and, and different things that you see in the woods about a move, but how to observe. And what you just said, how you're getting in, and actually getting so close because everyone's doing this macro look, trying to mm-hmm. see something far and away, and they don't look really in their interior perimeter. Um, and it's the biggest things our cadets make the mistakes just out of inexperience, not out of, okay. you know, no no other fault. And they get two days of that in the mm-hmm. school and they have to do a scenario and they have to do a takedown in a case and and things like that. And it's not only one of the most enjoyable classes they do. But I think it's the most valuable to just get them used to being in the field with field craft and not being a windshield warden locked to that truck, you know, and, and, and being effective. But, uh, but it sounds like you guys are doing a lot of in the Academy. And can you tell us a little bit about, about that training for your cadets? Well,
3: uh, in the Academy, it's, we do five and a half months as your basic law enforcement, um, the state standards and all that. But while they're going through the, uh, high liabilities, your firearms, your DT and and shooting and stuff like that. That's where we start to take over even in the basic recruit courses because our academy is held in Tallahassee in the the state capitol uh, just outside of it, but at the state law enforcement academy at Pat Thomas. And uh, so we have, I think four or five training lieutenants up there, two training captains and the training major over that facility in, in our own barracks and all that our own classrooms and and there's uh, woods surrounding it to be able to do that outdoor stuff to do hides and stuff like that, set up, uh, you know, hunting incident situations and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But after the five and a half months of the basic recruit with a little bit of influence on the high liability, they end up going into another seven to eight weeks of strictly FWC uh, more DT, more firearms, um, a little more the, the the difference in driving stuff with uh, four by four trucks driving at night with lights out, uh, using sneak lights, and and understand the policies surrounding those. <clears throat> and then going into a week of vessel ops and and really ramping it up, starting at the basics because I mean I'm, I'm sure it's with you guys. You get people that just joined law enforcement, they've never operated a boat. They might have hunted their whole life, but never operated a boat.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
3: Well, well, with us, you're not guaranteed to go to a place where you're just going to be surrounded in woods and not right. have to deal with the water, especially in yeah. the state of Florida. You're dealing with some water somewhere. And you're going <laughs> so to have to. You guys are a water
0: state, man. Your biggest water <laughs> state out there.
3: <laughs> so we start off all the way at the basics with vessel ops to trailering and backing a trailer down, how to take the boat off, how to put it back on. It's like an intense week that just gets them a piece of the pie to they'll, be able to start doing that more in the field once they join in the field and go through their FTO program. But all of that is covered. Plus the Marine laws, the boating safety laws, the hunting regs laws, different fisheries laws, uh, protected species laws. It's just a whole lot to where they're just crammed. And over the last, I think it's been the last two Academy classes that have come out. We've kind of changed their acclimation into the field by giving him a two week acclimation, ungraded, just get out, ride with some of the guys who might not even be training you, actually training you and be your field training officer so that you can kind of just take it in and and become, okay, this is the area I'm going to work. Let's just go ride around and see some stuff. And then maybe do some of that admin stuff that you don't want to have to deal with on FTO, you know, getting all the paperwork. Hey, this is your truck that used to be, embedded in that first week of FTO that took up so much time because you're running around, this is this courthouse, this is this hospital, this is this boat ramp. We can knock all that out in the first two weeks and then go into our graded where we're starting to go back to vessel ops, go back to officer safety and start retraining, give them two weeks to kind of be like, okay, this is where I'm going to be. I'm not going to be nervous around this guy. We've become somewhat, you know, trainer, uh, student relationship. That's not so, yes, sir, how are you doing? Yeah. You <laughs> right, know, because yeah, I excellent. remember when I, when I came out, I was like, all right, how do I not screw up today? <laughs>
0: you yeah. yeah, You know, Lonnie, that, that, that hits home so deeply because I remember back to the FTO days, you know, mm-hmm. and, and my Academy days and I'll date myself. It's like 1992 at Napa Valley college. And I always said, you know, being an FTO later and all the training and mm-hmm. I'm sure training you've done for your cadets, um, you know, you got to enjoy the process a little bit to realize your potential. I was so freaking nervous because I had three superhero game wardens that were iconic and legendary that I got assigned to FTOs all over the state. And I mm-hmm. I did well, but I'm going to say I did maybe 80% of my potential because I was so flipping nervous and I was doubting myself, you know, and I was like backpedaling and they look at me like, keep going. You're all right, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it was that regimented like, am I out of the academy phase or can I unwind a little bit with this, this superhero of mine? And, you know, can we, can we start to relate as partners? And uh, it's so funny you mentioned that because it's so uh, intense for, for dedicated young cadets, you know, and and sometimes we can hinder ourselves just from, you know, not being able to, to learn at our potential and unwind a little bit with our trainers.
2: Yeah. Then, then I think you can go to the other extreme where they're unwound a little too much too. So yeah. there's that. <laughs> well, especially if they have familiarity with you, they start calling you by your first name uh, right off as a trainee and things like that. I've seen that too. When you, you got to tune them up, Hey, you know, let, let's start getting back in line where you're supposed to be. Yep. But, yeah. So can you share one of those missions with us, Lonnie? I mean, one of your SOG missions uh, and, and, but maybe before that, is there, when, when you become a team on the SOG team, do you have special training that they go through before they're a member of the team or do you just bring them on and you start training as they go and then maybe share a mission that is memorable?
3: So getting on the team um, is a little bit of a, you've got to have at least one year of probation under your belt. Um, and then you can apply if we're doing tryouts, the tryouts consist of a, our physical assessment test that they come through when they're doing the academy which is when they're just getting on and hired, and for all our other officers throughout the state, their qualifying time is like eight minutes thirty-six seconds, which is easily doable in my mind, since we have to do it in six fourteen wearing a twenty-pound plate carrier. There you go. <laughs> and it's, okay, it's, it's a little, it's it's an intensive obstacle course, which uh, starts out with a five hundred-yard uh, sprint, coming to um, four hurdles. Set up at different, and it just progresses all the way to a. uh, We call it the scuffle. It's a 185 pound sled that you got to push back and forth three times, and you're pushing it 20 yards down, pulling it 20 yards back. You got to do it three times. It pretty much smokes your leg. There's a 150 pound dummy carry for 100 yards in there as well, and there's a balance beam, and it's it's just all relates to our job. One of the other parts in that is there's a a point where you come and you have to pick up two 35 pound kettlebells, pretty much five gallon bucket and you have to run it a hundred yards and put it up on a bed that's at or a um, table that's set at 40 inches, which would be typically the truck bed. So you're lifting two buckets and putting on a truck bed. It's our pat test is completely geared towards what our officers would end up happening to do or come across. And then there's a 70 foot or a 70 step ups onto an eight inch box, which is like seven or three flights of stairs or something like that. Yeah. So throughout all of that, you knock that out. You got to do it in under six minutes, 14 seconds. There's 11 obstacles. Um, then that gets you to the next portion. You just got to pass that to be able to go on to the firearms portion. Um, and then you have to pass firearms at a higher rate than a normal passing score, 85 uh, percent. With that, we get a little bit of flexibility to maybe amp them up a little bit. Um, This last go-round, I had them before every stage of fire. They had to holster and either do push-ups or uh, flutter kicks and stuff like that. I just try to get their heart rate up. I want them to know that they can shoot accurately and in fours and fives with an elevated heart rate under duress. Um, So make them pass it a little bit higher. Then they get to interview. (laughs) Once they get on the team, uh, it starts out, we just start – Flowing them into training, we kind of go back to a to a crawl phase and work up to where we're to where we're running. Um, I've got four new members right now. They actually just completed their first two trainings the last couple of weeks. Um, we went back into team movement in CQB and uh, just being able to flow as a team um, and ramp them up from dry drills all the way to RBT stuff. All of this stuff will uh, when they get to go to our next basic. SOG class which is a week long Um, it's now being put on uh, we actually it used to be a three-week course when I went through it it was a week of just firearms shooting and moving um, distance shots all kinds of different um, shooting methods and and techniques and scenarios and all that and then uh, shoot houses and stuff like that and then the next week was man tracking and nice uh, helicopter or helo operations being able to be dropped off by our uh hueys and and man track and, and land now to a next uh lz and stuff like that well now we're still doing that stuff but we're doing that at our when we come together as a state we try to do a statewide training where it's a week long we build competitions into it and all that but going back to the basic class we now outside hired that and we're going through what's called the tactical games university. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the tactical games yet. It's a pretty much a newer sport coming along. Um, But the instructors that they have, the guys who started that um, have some serious special forces background, awesome shooting uh, drills and techniques. And it's all under uh, amped heart rates where we're dragging a sled. we're, We're throwing sandbags around and we're actually Making our guys shoot even tighter, where a miss is no good for you. It's it's right. a penalty and it's a bad penalty. You don't want to miss. Pays to be a winner, and you better be a winner during the school. Um, so it's it, it's an amped up uh, training, more more stress. It's not like a, a straight up SWAT school where. Now uh, you're getting up at five in the morning and PTing to, to just to wear you out and keeping you up till 10, 11 o'clock at night to get home and, and clean your weapons and get all cleaned up. There's still PT, but it's all functional fitness. They're trying to teach our guys functional fitness that you can do from anywhere. Um, which when I went through it, I was like, I got back home and I was like, I need a drag sled and I need a sandbag. So I, right. out and I bought a drag sled and a, <laughs> and a brute force sandbag, a little plug for them because those things I have held up. I, my first one is completely tattered and beat up and it's still holding strong. And I use it every time I put my guys through training. I bought a couple extra. And with our new fitness program, we've been able to outfit different offices with fitness equipment. I'm like, I need this for training for my people. And I need this for training for the SOG team. So there you it's like, <laughs> <laughs> extra. It's like, uh, so, but it, it ends up our, our training gets amped up at more and more. Um, and it progresses once we have like a good solid team where we've been around and, and hit a couple good trainings together. Um, you really see the cohesiveness We the communication starts to, from going from, Hey, I'm going here to, you already know, you're just doing it flowing and moving. So.
0: Yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. We've, we've been playing with the the, the tactical games and bringing some of those outside instructors, you know, yeah. uh, on the met side, just because we wanted to get away from that regimented, SWAT school mentality. You know, we all yeah. start there and a lot of us dinosaurs, you know, started there, but, but it's so beneficial, right, Lonnie? Cause the, and the PT that's factored in always keeps the stress at just the right level. It mm-hmm. doesn't overdo it or underdo it, I think. Um, but it does teach you to shoot tighter, communicate better, rely on your partners better. And what you said on cohesiveness in those type of drills, um, something we always push on the met front, like you guys are doing is, Hey, we need to train as we're going to fight. And we need mm-hmm. to fight to win and survive. And it's not yeah. about being the fastest shooter. It's accuracy, right? Slow, smooth, smooth, as mm-hmm. fast. So getting our guys to hit under stress. And I got to say, the first couple you know, changes in training, when we started pushing the, the cardio and the stress envelope a little bit, my fast, you know, r- my, my light speed lightning shooters were missing quite a bit. Yeah, and it was like it was humbling, you know, guys that shot lights out unbelievably faster than most anybody on the team. Um, It's a real humbling experience and really survival relevant. And it's cool to hear you guys are doing a ton of it, and you're doing it on a bigger scale than we are because you're so much larger. So I I Mm -hmm. just I think it's so cool that you can bring all your teams together and do an annual Mm. training. With hundreds of guys on the special operations front, which we just, we don't have the bodies to do unless we're integrating with allied agencies, but you're doing it in-house with your people. Mm-hmm. And that's a testament to, I think, spec ops teams in our world of thin green line conservation for the nation. You guys are leading it, man. It's super cool. Um, we need to go out and do that with you. That's and that's a collateral yeah. duty. <laughs> And yeah. it's a collateral duty. Uh, that yeah. blows
2: my mind because uh, right? I'm always preaching, you know, we're the police in the woods and that we're going to be changing as the future comes. And you, you've already changed Lonnie for sure in Florida by becoming those police in the woods. And let's face it, when the other law enforcement agencies use a game warden, the, the first, you're on speed dial next time. Yeah. The guy went in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah Did you, did you try yeah. to go? Nope. Nope. He went in the woods. <laughs> so it becomes your domain, which is, is awesome.
3: You know, and sometimes it's better if they just say, he went in the woods. We set up a perimeter around this area. True. It's your area Mm now. Just like, you know, on the the streets, uh, and I've worked with, um, you know, deputies in their canine units, and they're like, where was the last place you stepped? Because I'm not going. Don't send me to a contaminated. I need to be able to know the last known location. Same with our canines, but same with our man tracks. We don't want somebody to go trampling around and, like, give us a whole bunch of sign and be like, okay, well, where was the last point he went in? Cause that's where we're going to need to start. Yep. Um, which you wanted to talk about a, uh, a SOG mission. We actually had
0: be, one. Yeah.
3: So that was when I was in Southwest, we had a de- or a, a subject shoot at some deputies in Polk County, Florida. And then I think it ended up being a three County chase where they ended up wrecking out. One guy got away and fled off into the woods. What happens, everybody's canine units. You've got three different counties of jurisdiction. They're all wanting to play, and they're just sending their units all over, and then we're getting a call to come and assist, and it's like, okay, we start running the tracks and stuff like that, and I'm start- we're starting to get into some thick stuff. And you can see that those local deputies and their uh, local SWAT teams where they've got their big turtle shells on and trying to go in the woods, it's like, you're not going to
0: laugh. laugh. not going to Not going to happen. <laughs> so
3: uh, and a lot of teams have, I've seen some of those rural counties have actually slimmed down. They, they're like, okay, this is going to be this kind of mission. We need to be wearing this. So that's kind of, they're, they're starting to see that as well. Cause we do join in with some good counties that, you know, we work together. We train with a lot of local SWAT teams because they have training that they can benefit to us and we can benefit to them. Um, we've taught man tracking to Pasco and Polk County. And then they've come back and said, Hey, these are some of the CQB tactics and shooting stuff we're doing. Um, so it, it it works well when you can play well with others. So, but going back to that mission, there had just been so much foot traffic on the ground. Nobody was able to find them. Cause we'd come across some sign and we started looking, uh, some of us who were on the team were like, did this section get cleared off? Cause there's footsteps. We're getting signed. We need to, you know, track these tracks. Well, we ended up on a track of another team that we didn't know okay. had gone through the area. So that's just one of those learning ones. But, uh, uh a good, SOG mission that to to have fun talking about. Um, I think our our hurricane deployments, especially mm-hmm. when we're we're able to go to other states and say, "Hey, we're here to help," and then be very successful. And um, Texas was a really good one. Um, we uh, we were one of those teams that just didn't want to stop. We went. They're like, "You guys need to be off the water by night or by dark because you don't know where you're going." And uh, for me personally, there was just I had that that feeling. In the back of my mind, the hairs are standing up. I'm like, yeah. I looked at my partner that I was riding with. I said, we've got to make one more run. Everybody else was done. They were coming just back. Felt we it. Make, I just felt it. Yeah. So we make that one more run. And sure enough, there's a, one set of family that's got the amp all uh, the way down that's already been extracted. But the mom and dad are going to stay because they need to button up some more stuff. And they're good. And they're going to come out some, the next day. And they had their uh, three kids and their dog. And they're like, "Could you please?" Oh, we didn't think anybody else was coming back. I'm like, "As long as you got somebody who knew, I need to talk to And they're like, "This is who it is. This is the store. It was where we had been launching." She's like, "They're already sitting waiting." <clears throat> we come flowing in there, right as it's getting dark, and they're like, "You guys need to get out of the water." I'm like, "I got three more," so <laughs> it, it just made me feel good that you know, listening to that intuition, and uh, just—it was a really good, successful uh, partake out there in Texas. Um, I think I think we had like over 200 officers out there. It wasn't just me, and it wasn't just my team. It was it was a it was the state, um, saw guys and non saw guys. Um, I think we had probably six extras that were from a different that were from a different region and just uh, patrol officers that were attached to us to help us out because just because they're not special operations group, they still use airboats and drive buggies in their daily patrols. They can still operate a buggy in an airboat. Out on these kind of missions, they do search yeah. and rescue missions in the state. They can do it in another. So,
2: well, yeah. that's real good stuff,
0: man, Lonnie. It sounds like you know, and I, I notice you know over both of our careers, it seems like our southern border and our hurricane states are having more and more problems with storms, and the hurricanes are more intense, um, and they've just been stacking up. You know, I mean, since nine 11 and ironically, it's like a timing thing when you guys formed up, and then with your skill sets. I can imagine you guys on the road all the time for this hurricane relief because annually we have several and they're devastating. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and kudos, man, those, those life-saving moments mean it all. Um, and I know we've deployed to help uh, on a few of those, but certainly being so far from hurricane country, so to speak, we Mm -hmm. don't see it on the magnitude you guys do and you do it so well. That's really cool stuff.
2: Mm -hmm. Any females on the team, Lonnie? Yes, I have one on my team. Um, The former commander
3: for this team was a plank member, uh, Lieutenant Pam Steelman. She's from, she's about to retire in a couple more years, which is going to be a big loss of institutional knowledge. But she's one of my lieutenants and and somebody I've actually met when I was in college and she was getting her bachelor's and we were in the same class together. So it was like, I got to talk to her. (laughs) So it was like, it it was all lining up for me. It was just starting to run into them. and, And I was like, man you know, getting to talk to her and then becoming friends with her. And I ended up going to a different region when I got hired on, but lived a County away from each other, even though we were in a different region, we were a County away from each other. So I still got to see her when she came into town and stuff like that.
0: That's awesome. And then
3: going through my career and now getting her working for me, (laughs) which is kind of weird, (laughs) but but she's, she's one of our plank members. Um, She got off the team due to uh, family issues and stuff like that. But, She's uh, she's got a son that's in soccer. That's you guys are going to see him be pro one day.
0: Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's something needing to track right there. That's awesome. Yeah,
3: he's a, I think they're, I think they're in North Carolina for a college invitational and he's a eighth grader. Wow. That's
0: incredible. Yeah. Here's a phenom. Yeah. Phenom. Yeah. Kudos. Kudos to her and that. That's awesome.
2: It's probably from um, dragging all those brute force sandbags back and forth all day when he was like six years old, right? Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> he may be half the
0: weight, made the dummy half the size and said, You're gonna start now. <laughs>
2: that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's got that sled in the backyard and, yeah. and dragging it. So <laughs>
3: She, she, she bought her own sleds and stuff like that. Yep. She was like, I got to stay here, you know, She's and I've got to stay up there.
2: I'm sure if he's like any kid, he was, he was playing with it. He was dragging it, <laughs> oh, yeah. getting some leg strength out of that. That's cool. Oh, oh. Um, and Lonnie, as we're uh as, as
0: we sort of wind, we got to ask, um, what do you foresee as far as adapting to the changes we're seeing through the country and especially in Florida for SOG, for your agency, um, you know, Wayne and I talk about this with almost every fellow Thin Green Line guest. You know, the, the challenges to LE with what we saw last year, with the the changing demographic and 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 political sentiment, if you will. But other challenges you might be seeing on the ground that your your team's going to be focusing on that you haven't maybe done traditionally since Sog formed up, if any.
3: Well, I've had that question a couple of times from from officers that are not in our side, the game warden side. Gotcha. The way I see it, for us, we go and we do, you know, inspections. So we end up talking to people all the time. So I feel like our personal skills and being able to talk to people and then be able to read people get honed so much better because we're not responding to bad situations all the time.
2: Amen.
0: Yep. Spot on. We
3: get we get to talk to people and be like, and when those are when people are upset because we're you know going to take their fish or something like that we have learned and adapted to de-escalating people over fish. So when it comes to a more situation, we already have those skills to be able to talk to people. And I think that's a a big issue. And I see it a lot in our younger generation too, that uh, young officers, the ability to communicate and talk and to, to, you know, be aware that you can talk to this person and not have to take it to a different level because of the way you talk to them. Um, I, I think it all starts with the, the being able to talk and, and uh, we'll, we'll go to the political side of it. You know, if we, our leaders can't communicate with each other and work out issues by talking and they got to just throw jabs at each other. Well, how are we teaching our people to talk to each other and communicate? Right. Because everything leads to the dramatic. You have to go to I've got to pick this up because I'm going to fight them with all of this when it could have been like a you know, simple misunderstanding. You know, what's yeah. up? What's going on? Um, you look at some of the, the, the uses of forces and it's like, why did you jump to that so fast? And it, and it all goes to training. We can train for everything, but it needs to be, we need to, we can train high stress all the time, but if you don't train the non-stress to, Hey, this is, you just got ramped up in this. That's a, that's a different scenario. Now you're going to be thrown into this where it's just a compliant check, which we train that way. We will do, um, um, the over-the-bag training, where you put a bag over their head, you spin them around a couple times just to change the scenario, and they're never leaving the box. The
1: right. scenario
3: changes in the box, and it could be a deadly force. It could be somebody's just asking for assistance. We had one where it was um, we ramped them up with a with a, a deadly force scenario. And then right away, bagged them, spun them around, take the bag off, and it's somebody rushing at them with an empty bottle of water going, I need water, I need water, come help my friend. And the person's like, <gasps> it's like, no. Oh. Assess the situation. They didn't come at you like they weren't two feet away from you. They were running to you. Look at their hands. Deadliest feelings first, clear the hands. The guy's got a bottle of water in his hand. He's coming to help. He's there's stress on his face. So being able to train those situations to where somebody doesn't go in high stress, amped up all the time to where they can get comfortable in that I'm alert. I'm ready for things. This is how I'm going to react if the situation goes this way to already have that mindset where they're already doing the role plays and the scenarios in their heads, but keeping themselves calm and mindful of their surroundings and what they're going to, you know, what they could have uh, um, come into. Um, so yeah. I no, man.
0: That. That's spot on. And, and, you know, you talked about communication skills and I think that's something we on the conservation officer front we we kind of have to have it, or we're gonna we're gonna die standing, right? I mean, we're mm-hmm. so in, we're so embedded with our communities. We're alone all the time as a patrol warden, and we call it the verbal judo, you know, the gab mm-hmm. magic. Just being able to respect and deescalate, and always assess through communication. And you know, and nine times out of ten, I'm sure your career, my career, Wayne's career, there were a lot of close calls that could have gone really bad if we mm-hmm. hadn't just lowered the intensity had some communication, had a little bit of empathy, all those different things. And then, of course, there's those times when don't miss, don't miss the clue because it's time not to be nice and it's, yeah. it's going to go red hot and it's, you're, you're going to condition red in a deadly force situation. But there were a lot of close calls that could have gone both ways, I know, in my career, and I'm sure you guys as well. Mm-hmm. It didn't go that way because of how we communicated with our constituents, if you will, you know our community members. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think you hit it on the head, bud, when you said we're, we're kind of losing that in – the, the, the examples we're seeing at the top. Yeah. And, uh, and we're, you know, I can speak with, with my old agency at at the training level in the Academy right now we're having, and these are young kids seeing this change in the nation and we're trying to instill what you just said, you know, get out of this, get out of a rivalry, get out of the polarization and let's get back to working with people, you know, mm-hmm. assess people for what they are. And like you said, watch the clues physically, but try to relate, you know, a little bit more mentally and mm-hmm. I think we're all going to be better because of it. But yeah, uh, different agencies we talked to are going through the same challenges and, and it's, it's a tough time to start for sure, but uh, mm-hmm. but not an impossible time to start by any means, I think.
2: Yeah, I think we're ahead of the gap, though, like you said, that we're not always dealing with bad people. We're not always going to bad calls we able to gain and you know it's, it starts at that basic when the guy comes on and my first lieutenant he wanted me to go visit the, the local farmers and stuff and mm-hmm. I thought to myself I'm out here to catch poachers I'm not out here to go visit the local farmer but he wanted to instill a the communication making those contacts and, and those are the contacts that really paid off in the long run were those community type yeah. policing contacts that we all enjoy and then you got, you know, we deal with 90% of the people that are good and 10% of the bad. Um, but it's that, that being able to detect, too, when something's not wrong, when something's wrong. And I always tell my guys when, when your sixth sense kicks in and it's telling you something's wrong, something is wrong. No matter what what it is, is something's wrong. I think we get that embedded because we deal with so many positive encounters when there's something wrong all of a sudden the body language everything tells you there's something wrong and believe it i keep telling those guys believe it because there is because that's that's how that's how you're 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 detecting that because of all the the communication skills that you've developed so, oh, really important. So, thanks, thanks a lot for bringing that up. And I think as in schools, uh, I, I teach the college at the local community college and I'm making them do their oral presentations and you should see their eyes. You know, get off your phones. You're mm-hmm. going to get up in front of the class. You're going to do a Zoom. You're going to yeah. do something, and I want you to communicate because if you're going to be in criminal justice, you need to communicate. So this is what we're doing. We're 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 taking it right down. Yeah. And in the course of a semester, it's amazing what you can see how the progression goes. But uh, um, and that's what I do. That's because I know it's a tool they need. Oh. Yeah. Uh. Oh, this has been a really cool conversation. Something uh, out of the box, like the Met team, the Sog team in Florida. You're our florist, first Florida game, Warden Lonnie. Uh, we're, we're very honored to ha- to have you on. Um, I love the backdrop. If people watch on Patreon, you, you got a stellar backdrop there. Patches, seals. Uh, I always like to look at backdrops. Kind of describes people. John's got all. The, John's got a wall, man, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: It's the officer, this guy's it depends on the day. But when I'm talking to two good game wardens, yeah. I, I, gotta put some, <laughs> I gotta put some conservation memories up, man. Oh. <laughs> or it could have been the patchboard, Lonnie, too. But I thought, oh. yeah, we'll, we'll do some memories.
3: I got, I got the patchboard up here, I got the challenge coin board that I built over here, yeah. Uh, yeah and so. then I've got, I've, I've got some old photos, I got a picture from uh, from Texas on an airboat with some uh, Texas um. Texas Rangers, I had to, we had to go into a, a a little bit higher risk spot with them um, and, and they said that when we got back on the airboat and we were getting done and the mission was off, they're like, and I was still a lieutenant, like LT, we'll fly with you anytime on those airboats. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> we, we went through some hairy stuff. There was, there was a couple of Times that I had the pucker factor, and I was just like, "Don't act like you're scared now, because you got these guys on here. And they're gonna freak out if you start to get worried." Yeah, so man. R- rushing water on a in an airboat. There's there's no rudder. The rudder's up there by the propellers, and and you don't have those yeah. no cags or anything like that. So it was. It was kind of, it was fun. a pucker factor day, but we, we got in safely. We got back out safely and we were like, we need a picture. That was, that was intense. That's, so.
0: that's super cool, man. Um, but no, it's it, great having you. And you know, anything we can do, please reach out, we'll stay in touch and I'll, I'll send you an email and some other stuff just to talk team stuff and maybe yeah. exchange some tactical patches with you. I got some pretty cool subdued ones from our unit and love to change with you. And it's it's just great. Finally, getting to talk to somebody from SOG. It's a real honor and a real treat. And uh, man, thank you so much. We appreciate it. You're welcome.
3: I appreciate you guys reaching out.
0: Thanks, Lonnie.
2: Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those His warden's watch.